Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to Kawaii Cast. I'm Candace. I'm Tyler. And yeah, sorry about missing a week, you guys. A bunch of stuff happened. Uh, yeah, it yeah. was it was me. I was not in the right frame of mind. Yeah. Uh, we will be missing next week as well. Uh, I will be out of town, and I don't want to record too early because I feel like it loses a lot of relevancy if we record too early. So. Yeah. Uh, not that there's a lot of relevancy this season anyway, but speaking of relevancy, (laughs) uh, anime news. Anime news. What you got, son? Uh, Demon Slayer ended up closing out the closing ceremonies of the Olympics. That's what I was gonna say. (laughs) Yeah, beat me to it. Wanna add on to that? Uh, wasn't it instead of like the, the normal, uh, theme, it was like a ska version or something? Yeah. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. It's kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean trailer dropped this week. Yes. So pretty excited about that. JoJo's fans are going crazy. Yep. As always, JoJo Twitter is a mess right now. I would avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Twitter that's going to be a mess, uh, Uzaki-chan wants to hang out has been announced for a second season. I did see that. So <laughs> there you go. And uh, Guragara broke. Garagura broke. Good smile. <laughs> so her pre-orders went so fast that the entire U.S. website crashed. Yep. They did announce they will be doing a second wave of her. Hopefully, their servers are more prepared this time. <laughs> I doubt it. I know you logged in literally four minutes after it went live, and it was so impossible to get on the website. <laughs> it was so hard. Yeah. <laughs> I got it, though. You were fighting bots, and, but you came out on top. That's right. It's because you're a cyborg. That's right. <laughs> my my robot powers gave me the edge. It's true. So let's go ahead and get started, though. Uh, this episode would have been a little bit more appropriate last week than this week, but again, mental health stuff. Yeah. Uh, so last week celebrated the anniversary of Satoshi Kon's film Perfect Blue. And that's the, what, the 20th year anniversary? Uh, older than 20th, because I bought the Blu-ray for the 20th. So it's either the 21st or 22nd, I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Oh, let's see, I can actually just math. Uh, 24th. 24th, okay. Because it came out in 1997. There we go. So yeah, 24th anniversary of the debut at the film festival. So I don't remember which film festival. I had this information last week. (laughs) The film festival. The film festival. There's only one film festival. (laughs) Yeah, the one. You guys know the one. There's only one in the 80s. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, so this is continuing our Satoshi Kon film festival films because we've done a few satoshi khan reviews before and i i don't think satoshi khan can really do wrong with his movies honestly no this one is really good but it's also kind of a mind fuck it is yes so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the plot just to begin with because this is like this was his peak film in my opinion like this is the film that when people think satoshi khan they think of this movie I wanted to save this one for last, honestly, because it is the most iconic film that he's done, but 
it was just too good of an opportunity to watch it on the anniversary, in my opinion. So yeah, and this is such a slow season. We could all use a little Satoshi Kon in our lives. Uh, so the plot of the movie follows our main character, who M- Miwa. Yeah, uh, Mima. Mima. Yeah, Mima. I was I was off by one letter. <laughs> you had to flip it upside down. Yeah. Yeah. So Mima, who was part of a three-girl idol group. And this took place during the 90s when uh, idol girls were kind of a bit more niche in Japan. Like, you were either part of, like, a really big label idol girl group or you just weren't going to find success, honestly. It was almost impossible to hit anything of, like, the uh, top charts. Yeah. And... So because of this, she finds that her career is definitely lacking and her agent basically convinces her to switch to acting, which is something that she originally wanted to do. She got into like idle work just to kind of make ends meet or try to get her name out there. But being an actor was her original goal. So this is a big opportunity for her. However, as she starts to get more and more involved in the film life, we do see that since the film industry is not taking her seriously since she was an idol, they're kind of pushing what they're going to have her do. They start having her do some smutty scenes or some controversial photo shoots or things like that to basically erase the good girl image that she had when she was an idol. Yeah. Um, It seems like it also stems from... uh... Like, if anyone really knows much about the uh, the film industry, it's, it's like, to get recognition, you know, you, you kind of have to start with those those smaller uh, roles, and you, you end up having to do, you know, like, the rape scene. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, let's just say that's what it was right now. Yeah, they basically decided that they had to do something completely drastic to completely reinvent her image. Yeah, rather than her getting stuck with, you know, one line in a movie or something, you know? Yeah. And the reason why this is such a big controversial moment for her as an actor is because, if you guys know anything about idols, especially in the 80s and 90s, idols were supposed to be viewed as these perfect girls and perfect women. They weren't supposed to be viewed as people with desires or romantic interests or anything like that. They were kind of viewed as like, almost like the Barbie doll kind of image where they're supposed to be perfect. And because of this, her fans had it in their mind that she can't be a bad girl. She can't be a woman. She's this cute person you look up to. How dare. Exactly. And this became particularly a problem for a man who goes by uh, May Mania, who has been stalking her for a very long time. Even to the point where he gets security jobs at her concerts and even at the television studio where she is filming. Yeah. And very early in the film, she discovers a website called uh, uh, Mima's Room where whoever's behind making the website seems to know absolutely everything about her. Yeah, like, she she discovers it, and she kind of reads it, you know, and it's like, oh, today I stepped out of the train with my left foot, whereas normally I step out with my right foot. 
and that made my whole day ruined, or, you know, like, that kind of bullshit. Yeah. And she just kind of laughs it off at first. She's like, ha, 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 oh, boy, they sure know me, <laughs> you know? Yeah, the whole thing is basically a blog that uh, acts as, like, basically kind of like the original live journal website, where you just kind of write about your day, and obviously the person behind this website is pretending to be her. And it starts to get a bit out of hand, because not only do they know too much about her, but it seems like fans who are following the website are convinced that it actually is her, and it becomes almost its own entity, where, like, when she does the rape scene in the movie... The website says, like, I didn't want to do that. They the pr- ruined me. The producers me. made me. And yeah. My my agent made me. Yeah. So because of that, she starts basically hallucinating the alternate version of herself that would have been the perfect idol, the image that everybody sees her as versus the very, very real her. So that's kind of the basic plot of this it does start to spiral into this just absolute madness uh if you guys did end up watching millennium actress based off our recommendation it kind of is a more intense version of that where in millennium actress we start to see the lines blurred between the films versus the actors like real life versus the retelling of the story versus the present day events and even like the two reporter characters keep disappearing and reappearing into the shot constantly this is a more twisted terrifying version of that yeah satoshi khan definitely knows how to blur those lines and play with film tricks which is one of the reasons why most people remember him more as a director than like an artist or an animator or anything like that yeah, uh, this this movie does a very good job of uh, ma- making you wonder what's real, like what what is actually happening. Yeah, you know, right up until the end where it actually seems to tie it all in together. Yes. So there has been a lot of different rumors about this movie. In particular, the idea that the American film Black Swan was actually a ripoff of this movie. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So, I can't remember who the director for uh, Black Swan was, but I know that he actually does own the distribution rights to Perfect Blue. So that's why it's so suspicious, because they're like, not only... Wait a second here. Yeah, not only can nobody sue him because he technically owns the film... But there are scenes that are literally shot for shot exactly the same. Yeah. Not to mention Black Swan has a lot of the same themes about a girl who decides to push her acting career to its limits and starts to blur the lines between what's real and what's not. Not to mention there's a lot of questions as to whether or not she's a murderer. So in particular, one scene that everybody talks about is the bath scene. Which is literally shot for shot exactly the same. Uh, yeah, which best scene is that? So it's the one where she's laying in the bathtub with her face under the water and then she just screams. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah. Okay. So the reason why this has kind of never actually been addressed too much in, like, the film industry 
is because it's actually not that unusual for filmmakers to take scenes from popular films and basically recreate them in their films. If you watch... Uh, yes, um, if you have any questions about that, there's actually a great YouTube video about it called Everything's a Remix. Yes. I suggest going and watching that. I think there's two. There's Everything's a Remix and Everything's a Remix 2. Yeah. But, but both of them do a very good job of explaining that concept. Yeah, like Star Wars straight up used uh, footage from uh, old samurai films, like literally shot for shot. Uh, I mean, Star Wars really is um, basically the story of uh, Akira Kurusagawa's, uh, what is it, the Something Fortress? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, but yeah, it's you basically can, that story. Yeah, you can literally watch Star Wars and Kurosawa films right next to each other and be like, these are the exact same shot. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, uh, same with uh, Kill Bill used a scene that was literally shot for shot from another movie as well, yeah. including the song. Like, even the music in the scene is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's really not that uncommon. So that's we're not like trying to call out the director of Black Swan. Like you're, you're a thief. You're a film you're, thief. It's, you're a cheat and a thief. Yeah, it horrible really, monster. <laughs> it really is one of the most common things ever. It's just I think a lot of people bring that up because the themes of the films are also extremely similar. Yeah, it's like almost exactly the same movie. But I would recommend Satoshi Kon's over Black Swan because I've watched both. So and. I feel like I've seen Black Swan, but it's been so long, I can't remember it. Yeah. So, uh, one of the biggest themes about this movie, anytime I see somebody who's just barely watched this movie for the first time in, like, recent years, they always have the same thing to say about it, and it's one of the biggest themes of this film, is that it is almost more relevant today than it was when they made it. Yeah, I can 100% believe it. Yeah, one of the biggest reasons, especially for people who have any kind of following on the internet or are considered any kind of internet personalities, is that there really is a difference between who you are online and how people view you online versus who you are in your day-to-day life. And... A lot of that is intentional. There's almost a filter on the internet, on social media, where uh, you want to be putting the best version of you forward at all times. But when you're in real life, you're just genuinely being yourself, and a lot of the times you're not going to be a very good person. That's why if you dox someone, you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> There's also parts of your real life that you just genuinely want to keep private. Like, I know there's been so many cases of popular internet personalities who have just had something in their life, whether it's their family or their past or something that they just felt like was precious to them, that they didn't want to be part of their internet persona that did eventually get out one way or another and i think it's so shitty when fans want to expose that part of somebody you know yeah um that being said there's been a few people that have basically been trying to dox uh some of the hololive 
girls. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's that's the reason Hololive's announced that they're not taking gifts anymore mm-hmm. for the girls. You can't, you know, mail them something because people have been sending them uh, like smart tags, like "Oh, I'm going to be able to track your location." Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's like, guys, that's a shitty move. Yeah. Hey, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, and like like don't do that. Yeah, I won't post it, or I won't talk about any like examples of personalities that I've seen who have ended up on kind of a, the shitty end of the internet because I don't want to encourage anybody who listens to our podcast to go and do that thing, or I don't want to give anybody ideas of what to do. But just think to yourself, like if you were in their shoes, would you want somebody revealing something like that about you? Yeah, like, exactly. Even if it's not like embarrassing or negative, even if it's a positive thing in your life, like say it's like the kind of relationship you have with your parents or anything like that. If you, they're not already posting it on the internet, chances are they don't want it on the internet. <laughs> like, they don't want you going to find their parents' social media page. They don't want you digging into their old relationships. They don't want you bothering their friends that don't have any interest of being internet personalities. Like, just let people have their own private life. Yeah. You're allowed to enjoy the things that they post publicly, but just just leave it at that and just be aware that that is only a very small part of who they are. So. Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, moral of the story? People are assholes. Yeah. And I, I know that this is mostly younger people that do that kind of stuff. I know that a lot of the times it's not somebody trying to be hurtful or harm anybody. They're not trying to be a stalker or anything like that. A lot of the time it's just fans that just feel like they're entitled to their favorite celebrities' lives. And it's been like that since long before the internet. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons why, uh, like, tabloids became such a big thing in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why, like, TMZ became such a big thing like, at one point. Paparazzi became a big thing. The paparazzi, thing. Like, like, people want to know about the celebrities. Yeah. I remember way back in the 90s, a popular tabloid was just, like, celebrities just like me. And it was like stupid things like they go out to get the mail in their slippers just like me. They go to the grocery store in their pajamas just like me, you know? (laughs) Yeah, stupid shit like that. Yeah. And it's like, even when I was younger, I felt like it was super weird that people want to feel like celebrities are like, like that, that part of their life belongs to them, you know? Yeah, um, well, I can, I can kind of understand the mentality of that, like, just like me thing. It's, they want to feel like they're relatable. You you want to feel like they're relatable, you know, like you, like you can connect to them on, on a personal level, whatnot. Mm -hmm. But some people, well, they get obsessive. Yeah. Let's, let's just put it that way. And that's why Perfect Blue was such an important film with this kind of message, because, Idols are almost the opposite of that, where idols, we don't want to think of them as real people, we want to think of them as the perfect, pristine (coughs) celebrities that their image has told us they belong to, and throughout the film we see that everybody who considers themselves a fan or is part of her life 
doesn't want her to become this actress who does these bold things or anything like that. They want her to be who she was, the perfect girl. Yeah, I think the the biggest uh, proprietor of that would be her, I don't know, mom? Like, co-agent, whatever, something, whatever she is, Rumi? She, she's not, she, yeah, she's not her mom. So, because she does mention several times uh, that her mom is a completely different person. Like, when she agrees to do the rape scene, she's like, oh, my mom is probably going to get a super scare out of it when she sees it, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Rumi is, like, the biggest one that's like, no, you you don't want to do this scene, you know, that'll that'll ruin your image, you know, that, that that's not good. Yeah, she constantly, you know, she puts it in a way that makes it seem like she's in the right as well. She constantly says things like, we need to protect her. We need to protect who she is. We can't have her doing stuff like that. But then when we actually see uh, Mima filming the scene with the guy who's supposed to be the rapist, we even see that he's actually very courteous about the whole thing. Like, whenever they have to cut to, like, move the cameras or anything, he's like, I am so sorry. Yeah, when, like, when the director is like, cut. You know, pause, hold your places, and he's, like, leaning over her, and he's just like, hey, I'm really sorry about this. Yeah, and she's super professional about it. She's like, no, it's fine, we're, we're professionals, we're actors, this is what we do, you know? Like, and he was, like, really careful to make sure that, like, she wasn't uncomfortable or that he wasn't actually hurting her or anything like that, so... I love that they actually did show, like, some level of professionalism in this film as well, that's, like... As opposed to, like, as the audience, we're not supposed to feel traumatized by that scene. We're supposed to be like, it's it's, it's a scene. Yeah. It's, it's fake. It's not actually happening. So I, I absolutely love that direction as well. Uh, but like I was saying with the whole, like, the idea that fans feel like they are obligated to belong to, like, celebrities or celebrities belong to them. We do see that very, very early with uh, Mimania when he's the security guard watching the concert, he literally holds his hand out like she fits in his hand. And he considers her not a real person, but yeah, this he's, doll. Yeah, he's like working the crew or whatever. Like he's working the lights and he's he's kind of peeking back on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. And that is honestly one of the most famous shots of the film because it says so much about how the idol industry works and how van fans view idols that they belong to the fans not the other way around and like I said they, they have this image that idols are supposed to be perfect but at the same time he also feels like he's obligated to her private life and he's obligated he, he feels like he's entitled to all of that stuff and when he starts to realize she's not the person he thought she was he starts to justify saying that's not the real her yeah. That's an imposter. That can't possibly be her. Yeah. It's like buying 300 tickets to your... Or 300 CDs to your favorite idol so you can <laughs> shake her hand for five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, I felt like that was... There's such a dangerous line because when you start to become more open about who you are to your fans fans start to realize that you're not the person they imagined you were and that could be just as dangerous as having a fake persona as well and there's really no positive way to be in the spotlight yeah you either are a fake version of who you really are or the real version of you is going to be disliked 
even the scene where uh, we see her two uh, previous uh, co-idols are now making it successful as a duo as opposed yeah, to the they've, trio. They've now broken the top 100 chart. Yeah, we constantly see them talking shit about her, saying like, oh, I bet she can't wait to take her clothes off for that photographer. Oh man, that photographer's known for getting nudes. She's just waiting for it. Yeah, and we do see like a bit of the cattiness, which is also a big reveal that even though they are also idols, the image that they have from their fans is not who they really are. They're actually just kind of gossiping girls who... Yeah only got into this for the fame and not because they actually genuinely care about the industry. <laughs> yeah. So, and they're also really petty about the fact that she's now doing something successful. So they also kind of feel like they want to rub their success in her face as well. Yeah. So it's like, see, we didn't need her. Whatever, whatever, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I everything about this film just comes together really 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 well and is such an important message about just celebrity life in general which is again more relevant now than it was when it was made because it is so easy to be in the spotlight now especially with the internet Mm -hmm. so i know this isn't going to be a super long episode i feel like a lot of people have kind of talked to death about this movie and i'm trying to discuss things that haven't been talked about too much before Although I do think one of the most interesting points I've ever seen anybody make about this movie and what actually makes this film scary isn't the serial killer or the stalker or any of the gore violence. It's the entity that she starts to imagine in her day-to-day life. Yeah, no, it's it's literally the mindfuck that it's... it's you, you become... Even as a viewer, you, you start to blur the lines between what is actually happening and what's just in her head. Yeah. There's several times which she constantly has to ask, like, am I even awake? Is this even real? Which one of us is the real one? And that really is where the whole concept of, like, the internet avatar becomes a genuine horrifying thing when you think about it. And I feel like even they they tied that together in the movie really well because, I guess, the movie she's working on deals with, like, a psychiatrist doctor who is, you know, she's like, oh, so... The, the patient has created a shadow in her mind that's that's causing the the murders you know like like the the movie is basically her life her life yeah like I said it's a much more twisted version of Millennium actress because Millennium actress did a very similar thing but the point being made was like imagine if the version of you that you've created for the public to see the per, your internet persona whether it's if you have a lot of instagram followers or if you are a uh, personality like a youtuber or a podcaster what if that version of you went out of control yeah uh i have several internet personas <laughs> just depends on what page i'm on <laughs> <laughs> what if like you started getting a large following all of a sudden and you became overwhelmed and you started to feel that sense of imposter syndrome like which version of you is the real you i'd be so confused i'm like i'd be like how do how is anybody watching the shit i do (laughs) yeah that's why i 
I don't care too much about the analytics of this series. Like, I'm really grateful for anybody that listens to us. And, oh, yeah, absolutely. But I, I try not to get too absorbed into the idea that people do listen to us or the idea that we do have regulars or fans or anything like that. It's It's not necessarily that I don't appreciate it. It's just that I don't know how to kind of cope with that kind of thing. Shout out to our 13 listeners. Yeah, thank you. You guys are the best. We love you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I think the idea that somebody has created an image of us in their mind that might not be reality is such a weird idea for me. Man, I, I think about this sometimes and like... And that you don't even have to be a celebrity for this, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone has a different version of you in their own minds. Like, my version of you mm-hmm. is different than, say, like, Stefan's version of you. Yeah. You know, we... It, it, you're not the same person to <laughs> every person. Yeah. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot whenever I talk to, like... Carly or Stefan, Stefan about you and like they they have this image in their head like oh this is so Tyler and I'm like no is it's it not. though <laughs> it's really not where did you get that impression like I could kind of see it but no it's not <laughs> yeah and and that really uh, just straying from the movie just a little bit here mm-hmm. uh, that really does stem like from like psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, depending on your audience, each person does also tend to cater to who they're with. Yeah. You know, so your personality does actually change even slightly from, from you know, whether you're at work or whether you're with your family or whether with your friends. Like, you, you put on a mask for every different group you're with. Yeah, which is the themes of the game Persona. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Freudian. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, now apply that to a global scale. And that's basically what the fear of the avatar is, basically. It's that the version of you that other people see through the window of the internet has become more you than the real you. And that's kind of the idea of this film, is that her idol image and the version that has been making this website and has created this version of her that's so perfect and innocent has completely overtaken who she is as a person. She didn't even really consider her idol life to be that big of a deal. Like, her last concert, she goes home and she takes down her poster and she's like, well, thanks for the memories, you guys. Like, it's it's a closed door for her. It's not, it's not a landmark. It's not this big thing that she wanted to sit on for the rest of her life. She just wanted to move on. But her fans have failed to see her as a real human being. And they, they wanted her to be the perfect blue. <gasps> she said it, guys. She said the name of the movie. She said the name of the movie. So, yeah. Uh, if you guys are the type who really, really like psychological horror, I absolutely recommend this film. Uh, I, I will take a psychological horror over jump scares 
any day. Absolutely. This is probably the best animated horror out there. And it has a nice scene where a guy gets stabbed in the dick, so... Right in the dick. It was right in the dick. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love a good dick stabbing. (laughs) So... I think for the rest of the episode, this is going to be a bit of a shorter episode, but I think we're going to get into major spoilers for the last part of this because, like I said, this is a film that has been broken down and analyzed by almost every single anime fan on the internet. You guys do not need us to tell you that Satoshi Kon's best film is his best film. Yeah. But I do kind of want to talk about the ending a little bit because it's one of those things that nobody talks about. Because nobody wants to spoil this movie for anyone. Yeah. Um, so spoilers here. Uh, granted, I'm not going to feel too terrible about spoilers because the movie came out in, what, 97, I yeah, think you said? it's 24 years old 24 now. years old. But yeah. I saw it for the first time like a year ago, to be fair. So, and I know a lot of newer anime fans have probably not watched this one yet. So if you are one of those people, I do recommend just go watch it like end of the episode here this is one that you do not want spoiled for you yes so yeah thank you for listening for all of you who are taking our advice and for the rest of you you have been warned so let's talk about the killer (laughs) the killer uh well you you think it's uh What's his name? The one fan, Mamania, at first. Yeah. Because it kind of leads it up to, like, him actually being the killer. And he may have actually done it to a couple people. Yeah, uh, he was the perfect red herring, honestly, because it made sense that he was, like, the one creating the website, since we knew that he was stalking her. And we knew that he was obsessed with her, and he was the perfect image of the obsessive fan that objectifies the people that he admires. Uh, With that said, there is a scene where it became really clear that he wasn't the killer. And that's when he's literally talking to all of his posters in his room. And the posters are telling him, like... You know, that's that's not the real me. I'm the real me. You need to kill the that imposter. And you realize that he's getting emails from the person who made the website. Yeah. So, and that he's just one of those fans that is constantly obsessed with the site and is convinced that the person making the site is, in fact, her. So, yeah, halfway through the film, it did reveal that he wasn't the killer, but it was really, really easy to just be so sucked into the idea that he had to be the killer, that it was... Mm-hmm. You almost put yourself into a sense of denial about it. Yeah. Because I know I did the first time I watched it, so... I was like, what? No way. Yeah. Um, so the real killer, interesting enough, uh, she kind of looked like him. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, they both had the really, really distant eyes. The, the, the fish eyes. The eyes so far apart, they needed Tobey Maguire to pull them together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was Rumi was actually the killer. Yeah. So, and this makes so much sense when you think about it, because she was so possessive 
of her career and her purity and all of that stuff. And we do see several times throughout the film where she lashes out in anger and almost violence. And it's kind of funny because the whole time you're just thinking like, oh, that's just the overprotective mother archetype, you know? And then by the end of the film, you're just like, oh, shit, those were red flags. Shit, no, that wasn't overprotectiveness. That was fucked up. Yeah. And there's almost something kind of incredible about the idea that we put such a like stronghold on the idea of like purity of like women that we would have never actually suspected that the overprotective mother archetype was actually just a crazy woman. Mm, crazy woman trying to wear her idol's skin, basically. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. And I'm like, it, it kind of fucks with your head because you're just like, the first time you see it, you're just like, oh, she's, she's just sweet. She's just really caring. She just, even like several times, she's just like, Rumi, what would I do without you? You're like, you're, you know, you're... You're always looking out for me. You're, you're like the best person. Yeah, exactly. And we have that mentality in our heads that like the women in our lives are just like that. They're, there are you know, brick walls. They're the ones that keep us upright. They're the ones that take care of us. But no, re-watching it the second time, everything she did in the film was a red flag. Mm-hmm. Absolutely everything she did in the film was mm-hmm. a red flag. So yeah, I... It's just one of those things that make you kind of reevaluate every relationship you've ever had. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> You're just like, was that person actually kind or were they... A little too kind. Yeah. And you can also tell that Rumi also doesn't see her as a real person. She sees her as this doll that she poses and... Like, her whole career was literally just Rumi trying to make her the version that she wanted to be. Yeah. And when she fought back and decided she didn't want to be that perfect idol, she didn't want to be Rumi's vision of what women should be like, then Rumi decided to take it into her own hands and become her instead. Bitch snapped. Yeah. (laughs) It makes me wonder, though, uh, how many times, like... That was Rumi, like, the vision that she was seeing. That's, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, it is it is a mindfuck, because you can even see, like, during that last, like, uh, chase scene or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. when, when the wig falls off Rumi, you know, she kind of, like, turns back into Rumi. But, you know, she, she puts the wig back on and, you know, becomes Mima again, yeah. you know? So, it, it it does. It makes you think, like, how often, you know, was... The hallucination. The hallucination of... of Mima. Mima, like, seeing herself say, Oh, you're a slut. You're, you're, you're not being a, a good idol, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, how often was that yeah. roomy instead of just in her mind? Yeah, exactly. And... I was, I've watched the film twice now. This is definitely one of those movies that I do think is really good to rewatch once you know all the plot twists and everything. I still can't figure out where the lines are blurred. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Yeah, Satoshi did an amazing job at that. Like, you can kind of figure it out with Millennium Actress. You really cannot figure it out with this film. 
I think there have definitely been people who have tried, like I said, and every anime fan who's ever watched this film has done some kind of breakdown of it on the internet. Frame by frame analysis. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a reason why this film is considered Satoshi Kon's masterpiece, and it's because it literally is a film that just makes you talk. It just makes you want to talk to other people about it. It makes me want to make other people watch it with you. And it makes you want to watch it numerous times to try to figure out what the fuck did I just watch? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Horror is one of those things that really should kind of sit under your skin for a long time. And Perfect Blue is a film that will sit under your skin for a long time. I think that's better than any gore fest or murder porn or any jump scare or anything like that you're going to experience. Yeah. So, yeah, I recommend Perfect Blue. Uh, Obviously, uh, viewer discretion advised. But I think if you haven't figured that out, the moment we said rape scene. I saw a nipple. (laughs) We saw more than a nipple. We saw bush. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think you guys should have gotten that message when we said the word rape scene. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, any final thoughts on this film? Um, no. It's it's a mind fuck. You're gonna want to watch it more than once, mm-hmm. just to intake it all. And it's going to take more than one watch through to to intake it all as well. Yeah. You're going to have the creepy crawlies for a bit. So. But yeah. Uh, Also, just somebody fix Rumi's eyes. My God. They drive (laughs) me crazy. (laughs) I'm Uh, I'm wondering if the fish were a metaphor for Rumi just because she has fish eyes. Yeah. Yeah. No, maybe, no, I don't know. Did the fish survive? I don't know. So, uh, Also, just the very last shot as well of her in the car when she sees uh, Rumi at the mental hospital. and She's like walking out and the two dudes walking in are like, hey, is that? No, it couldn't be. That can't possibly be the real Mima. Yeah. And then she looks at herself in the mirror and she's like, Oh, but I am, you know, like... I am the real Mima. Yeah, and uh, I want to point out that not a lot of people talk about this, but that scene actually reflects, uh, pun intended a little bit, but uh, when she was in the mental hospital, we saw Rumi staring at herself in the mirror and seeing her vision of Mima. And then Mima looks at herself in the mirror and sees her version of herself. Yeah. And so it does make you question whether or not Mima is completely there as well. She may have also created this persona that she views herself as that the rest of the world does not. Yeah. So, yeah, it it definitely leaves you with more questions than answers at the end. So it tied up the whole murder mystery, but what exactly is imposter syndrome? Yep. So, uh, with that, we want to thank you guys for supporting us. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, We care about you guys. And, yeah, go watch this film. Go watch uh, all of Satoshi Kon films. They're they're all really good. Yep, we have one more film. And then maybe we'll watch uh, 
some more of his stuff because he, he has a few things. So we only have one more Satoshi. Kon After movie that, though. Shaman King. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I don't think we'll do all of Satoshi Kon this season, but yeah. <laughs> but next slow season, so next year. Yes. All right. <laughs> Great. Thanks Bye. for listening, guys. Bye.